Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. In today's episode with Irene McKenna, we talk about grief and how to help our kids handle the death of one of our pets. We talk a lot about helping our children to be resilient, how to process sadness, and how to parent through it all. You'll also hear my puppy Pippin complaining in the background, but that's life. Keeping it real as always. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Hi, Irene. I'm so happy you're here with us today. Thank you. I am so excited to have this important conversation with you today. Me too. You know, the topic of how to prepare children for the loss of a pet or how to help them process it after the fact, because sometimes we don't have any time to prepare, is such a big topic. Um, I'm so happy to have you here. This topic came up even just yesterday inside one of my Facebook groups. Somebody said they got a, a devastating prognosis from their veterinarian and they didn't know what to do. And so I was so happy that I would be getting some advice that I can share with them in a timely manner. Um, before we dive into this topic, which I think is so important, um, why don't you introduce yourself and then we'll go from there. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm Irene. I am what I say I do. I'm a conscious parenting and relationship coach. What that kind of means is I help moms and parents get away from the the yelling and the losing their cool and the overwhelm and the stress to falling in love with motherhood and parenting again and really working on the relationship with their child versus holding up these traditional parenting models where we're so focused on the discipline and what has to happen that we kind of lose sight of what parenting is actually about, which is really about us as parents and how we respond to these moments, respond to our children's behavior. So that's what I do. My kiddos are now eight and nine. They are my, I say they give me ample opportunities to use my skills daily, um, <laughs> especially over this last year. And so that's kind of who we are. We actually, speaking of dogs, so we got our puppy last September. So she's now almost eight months old. We said goodbye to our, our dog five years ago this April. So we, it was a big gap in between just because I needed to have that time, one, to process, but two, to be able to devote the time that a dog needs to have. Yes. And so my husband says, how can you take on the responsibility of a dog now? I'm like, well, no, she's actually been my saving grace this year because she has to be yeah. walked. And my husband will be like, well, the kids can walk with you. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll walk. I'm good. I'm good. I like some alone time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I like where you are coming from as a coach, because I feel that the people who are listening to this podcast are here because they want strategies to parent better, right? And whether that's to parent their kids better or whether that's to parent their dog better, most likely it's to parent the combination of the two. So let's dive in to, um, you had an experience while you had children, you experienced the loss of a pet. Mm -hmm. 
Did you, were you able to use some of your expertise as a trained coach to work through this or did you navigate it on your own? How did you figure that all out? It was a little of both because it was early in my coaching. So I've been a coach now for about five years, which is when mm -hmm. we kind of said goodbye. So it's kind of was early on, but what I've always felt and done is just been very honest around transitioning death around honest conversations with my kids. So at the time they were three, that would have put them around three and four. Mm -hmm. And, and what, what it really is about to me and what it was using was just being okay with the emotions that came up for me and then honestly sharing them. I mean, if I was in a state where I just needed to completely lose it, then I'm going to take myself away. But the rest of the the sadness or the rest of the, you know, processing. So my dog was, she was a big dog, 75 pounds. And she was, so she was two days shy of 15 when we finally said goodbye. So she lived a long life. I asked her for 12 years. She gave me 15. Um, and so, I mean, the, for the last three months, I was carrying her up the stairs at oh, night. Um, and then, so then she had a quick downturn where it was like three weeks where, she had one bad leg, which was already struggling. The other one went out. So I had the harness that I was like carrying her back legs around for. And then I was getting close to it and I was kind of processing it. And we, she was total comfort care at that point. And she had a stroke where she basically couldn't even stand up. She would wow. just kind of go in circles. And so I was hoping to hold her up to eat and everything. So it, we knew it was time. She knew it was time. And, but it was relatively quick, kind of a short period, short period of time. And just allowing myself to kind of be in the experience and allow my kids to kind of, if they wanted to be in it, they could, there was no forcing to be in it. There's no forcing to talk about it. It was just kind of allowing it to unfold. And the biggest part of that is never feeling like I had to one, fix my feelings mm -hmm. in front of them mm -hmm. and never feeling like I had to fix their feelings that came up. Yes. So there might've been times where their behavior was, more chaotic or acting out because they're playing off my energy, right? My energy was in this space myself. So they're playing off of that, but it was just kind of allowing them that experience and to be able to talk about it and process it and share memories and talk about her, my dog. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. I like, I like that honesty is a part of your approach. It's always been a part of my parenting approach. And my when I was a teacher, I was always honest with my students about a variety of you know, topics that would come up. Um, I think that a lot of parents are afraid because they either aren't sure how they feel or they are worried that if their kids see them being sad, that their kids may not know how to cope with that. So I'm wondering how much of your own feelings you have to be honest about in this whole process. So yeah. does that question even make sense? Yeah, and where I think that. I'm going to take it, we can kind of hone it in if we need to. But we think that often happy is is the goal. And if happy is the goal, then I have to always show up in a happy state or I need to try to always get my kids to a happy state. But if happy isn't the goal and we can say that all feelings are normal, when I allow my children to see my sadness, what I'm doing is normalizing sadness because what happens is when I'm trying to hide my sadness, the the to protect my children, what I'm actually telling them is there's a sadness is bad. 
sad, you know, there's, there's a problem with feeling sad. If you feel sad, it's bad. So you have to hide it and hold it together and pretend everything's okay. And as that child grows up, every time they feel sad, they're going to feel, oh, something's wrong with me for feeling sad. I shouldn't feel sad. And what happens is when we don't process our feelings, we push them down into our subconscious where they are out of our control. And now here I am as an adult and sadness comes up and I don't know how to process it. So maybe I'm covering it with anger or maybe I'm lashing out. So when we can normalize all of our feelings, we teach a child like, yeah, this it's normal to feel sad. Like this is something that I am really sad about. I am going to miss the dog and I'm thinking about her and I'm sad. Then they feel safe to feel sad. And when mm -hmm. they feel safe to feel sad, then those feelings, they process them because the way feelings work, they're like waves of the ocean. So they're just energy in motion. And when we allow ourselves to feel them, they peak like a wave and then they go out. So it takes about 90 seconds for them to like spike and then go out. But what we're doing is we're often so busy trying to hide the sadness or hide the, the feelings that are uncomfortable because what happens is children, because we didn't have help processing our feelings, likely our children were trying to protect us and keep us happy. And so we learned that, you know, we have to try to protect other people's feelings at all costs. Mm -hmm. And we didn't learn how to process them. We're going to feel uncomfortable when we feel our feelings. And we're going to feel uncomfortable when we see our child feel their feelings. But what we're actually, we're not protecting them. What we're actually keeping them from is building resilience, knowing that, oh, I can feel sad and I survive. Uh, I can yeah. feel sad and I, and I get to the other side and life is still safe and life is still okay. And I'm still okay. And I felt this sadness. So the goal isn't to protect them or fix the feelings or catastrophize them or make them bigger or smaller. It's really just to hold space for them. Let's talk about some strategies for how to, how to be in those feelings together as a family. <clears throat> I mean, I know that Sometimes it's a lot to take. And for those of us who have had our dogs in our life, even since well before our kids came into our life, as you did, um, you're, you are anticipating this void. You're anticipating loss and, and that you're going to miss the good things. Um, but you have also a lot of memories that you can share as well, right? So do you have any strategies for how to take memories and anticipated feeling of loss and turn it into um, a, ce a celebration maybe? Being open to sharing memories and talking about them and recognizing that yes, they may bring up those feelings of sadness in the moment. And they may you know, bring up, the, the memories may trigger, so to speak, those feelings of sadness. And then that gets again to be real and, and to share those. So I think, when we're okay with the process of sharing memories, when we're okay with the fact we may feel sadness and it it's just meaning that we miss her and we're thinking about her and we can be open and honest and say like, you know, I, I'm really glad you've asked me about the, you know, about the dog and sharing memories. I think my kids were young at the time. So they were, like I said, three and four, and it was like two years later. So my three-year-old was probably five. He wanted to, talk, there was like a couple months where he wanted to talk about her all the time. And, and it was just like, okay, we're going to talk about her. And, and it was just, 
remembering memories and sharing the fun memories and allowing myself to be happy, even though I was sad, like allowing myself to like really feel the memories in my body. Remember what it was like when she was digging those craters on the beach. So she had, she would have a Frisbee, but she wouldn't like to touch the sand with her mouth. So she would dig these craters until the, the Frisbee popped up so that she could pick it up. Then she would bring it to me. I would throw it in the water. She would dive into the water and get it. She would bring it on the beach, roll on the Frisbee. So it was covered in sand and then have to dig again, like over and over and over again. But so feeling and remember sitting there and laughing with her and like having fun with her or looking at pictures of when so here she was, it was like the year before. So she was 14 and we had a birthday party for her and we had party hats on oh. and we had like, you know, we had our ice cream and she had her like dog ice cream and we're, and we're like sitting there. And so it was really just allowing myself to be happy in the sadness and mm-hmm. not, it doesn't have to be an either or. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking about this is making me think about former dogs that I've had, you know, and it's, it is, it's a calm, it's a happy, sad blend. And that's good. That feels really nice to have memories that you can celebrate. It reminds me of how kids are just in general, very curious about things like, you know, tell me about the night I was born or Mm -hmm. for my son, tell me about when I came home from Guatemala or, you know, any number of different stories of milestones in their lives where they like to, they like to hear the same stories over and over again. That's why we read some of the same books over and over again. I like the idea of looking through photos as well. I think one thing that's really lovely about social media is that those memories pop up and sometimes they'll make you burst into tears and sometimes they'll make you burst into laughter and you're never really sure how it's going to make you feel mm-hmm. but it's a wonderful um timeline and sort of allows you to have your life documented so that you can pull through this curated collected library of images that are easy to share with your kids you know yeah. you can pull up your instagram or whatever and be like hey remember this yeah and again, it's it's allowing the feelings that come up well, because I think, you know, books can be great and there can be some amazing books out there. I don't have one particular that I recommend, but the thing with the memories and sharing pictures is that your child then feels really invested in the story, right? Like they're seeing you and they're seeing you get through it. And when they see you get through hard things, not perfectly, not pretty, not holding it all together, not happy all the time, but they see you human getting through hard things. They're like, okay, I can get through hard things too. And not apologizing for it. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Not like trying to rub it away. I'm fine. I'm fine. Not, you know, and you may have to say to them, you know, I'm having a really hard time right now. I just need a little space by myself. It's also holding boundaries for what you need during that time. And then again, also holding space for them and whatever may come up in the process for them. And the only way we do that is when we kind of learn to be comfortable with our own feelings. When we, So empathy is not agreeing with the feeling. Empathy is not, empathy is different than sympathy because sympathy, you know, is, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry you're sad. Where empathy is, I've been sad too, and I know what that feels like. Mm. And it's into that feeling and dropping into that feeling and how would you like to have been seen when you felt sad 
You know, how would you like to feel if somebody was just there for you? They didn't have to fix it. They didn't have to come up with a solution. They didn't have to try to figure out how to make you happy again, because if you actually just, they, I mean, this is why a kid can be like, you know, ramping up crying. And then we don't, we just kind of hold them. And then a minute or two later, they're like, I'm hungry. Can we get a snack? Because they've, (laughs) they kind of go through the feeling, but we're so used to pushing down our feelings that we get really uncomfortable in their feelings. Oh, I'm thinking of so many different stories right now of times when I wonder if I said the right thing to someone. I'm sure we've all been there. Um, I'm friends with somebody on Facebook who is struggling with some mental health issues, and she's really honest and brave about it. And I have so much respect for that because I feel that what she's going through is very similar to what we're talking about in terms of feeling like normalizing feelings. The response that I see a lot of people say to her if she says she's struggling is, is what can I do to help? And I, I think that's putting a burden of responsibility on her. She's trying to say, I'm sad, and she may not know what she needs to feel better. And 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 maybe the goal isn't to feel better. Like maybe the goal isn't to help her feel better, but it's just to be like, I just want you to know that I see you. Yeah. And that's what every human wants. That's what a child wants. That's what we want. That's what, you know, your friend wants is just to say like, you know, and sometimes empathy is right. We We see something happen and it's just reaching out and being like, I don't know that I have the words. I just want you to know that I see you and I'm, and I'm here for you. And I'm glad that you shared this with me. That's perfect. I like that. I think it's holding space for the feelings, which is exactly what you're saying about sadness. We can't fix anyone's feelings. I, I often, my daughter is um, college age now and I, we have a very close relationship and I often find myself getting sucked into her feelings when she is struggling with something or stressed out about something or disappointed by something. I find that I also experience those same things on her behalf. And I have to rein myself back in and say, it's not my, my responsibility to have those same feelings. I can't control her feelings, but I can just be here for her if she wants to express them out loud. Does that make exactly. sense? It absolutely so makes hard. sense. It it's- is hard because as, as parents, our primal instinct to protect our child comes out. But what also happens is if she's at an age where you struggled, if you felt unsupported or you felt overwhelmed going through this, if you felt, you know, relationship struggles, whatever the case is, we will feel our own childhood struggles mirrored back through our child. <laughs> So this is why, like, you know, a lot of times we may be like, oh, I don't know why, but I'm really struggling to help my child. They're like going through puberty and I feel triggered every time they're around me. Well, if we didn't feel seen and heard when we were that age, we struggle to be able to hold space for them. So this is why I always say as parenting, like parenting is about us as the parent. It's understanding our triggers. Like if it's hard for you to hold space for your child's sadness, it's time to understand why. Not to judge yourself for it, not to just put a Band-Aid and try to fix it, but why Why is sadness hard for me? Oh, because when I was a child, I always heard, oh, you know, why don't you go to your room and cry until you can put on a happy face? <laughs> well, 
<laughs> I'm going to not be able to hold space for my child's feelings because what I learned was there's something wrong with being sad. Sad is not okay. I need to fix this. So with your daughter, again, if you struggled at that age and didn't feel supported or didn't feel seen or were overwhelmed or dealing with relationship issues, you're going to see and feel because feelings are memories that live in our body. We're not oh. having a feeling about the current moment. We're having a feeling from a past moment that the brain has decided this is similar. And in our subconscious mind, it doesn't know time. So when we are experiencing life through our child, we are like reliving the, the parts of us, reliving the, the time periods, the experiences, the memories that we had <laughs> through them. Okay, mind blown. <laughs> that explains a lot, actually. <laughs> that is very interesting. That is something to think about. It's, wow. it's a, it can be a big shift when we start to see our triggers in parenting as our story and not like our, my child does not make me angry, right? My child does not make me sad. I am having a response to whatever their behavior is. Their behavior is neutral. This doesn't mean we don't hold boundaries against certain things, that certain things are not pro-social or safe or, or, or okay. But my reaction to their behavior is my trigger. What I want to, what, what parenting is really about is how I respond to their behavior. And if I cannot respond emotionally neutral, I have work to do. So when we talk about, you know, the conversation we started today with, you know, processing the loss of a pet, if I know I'm going to struggle holding space for my child's feelings, it's time to ask me, why do I feel there's a problem with sadness? Why do I feel I need to protect my child? These are questions that I ask myself, because when I ask myself those questions, that's how I hold space for my child. But when I, it's not just trying to put, like, I always like to say, you know, patience, if we're talking about like holding space, well, that's just having patience with their feelings. No, patience should never be the goal in parenting because we will never have enough. Patience is like putting a Band-Aid over our triggers and expecting it to stem the flow where we're really frustrated or anxious or overwhelmed behind the scenes trying to put on this face of holding space or being patient. But it's really deeper than that. It's, it's this emotional neutrality that we can be in that moment with them. You know, and it might be saying, if I was my child, what would I want my parent to have done for me? Mm -hmm. Can I do that for them? And sometimes that's enough to just shift, shift us for being triggered. Because when we're in that feeling state that we have to fix, what we're actually doing is making the moment all about us. Mm. We're not making it about them. We need our child to be happy. We need our child to be okay with the loss of this pet so that we get to feel okay. So how can a parent who is grieving themselves for the, this is a loss for the parent. Yeah, absolutely. How, do you have any ideas? I mean, I know you talked about saying to your child, honestly, you know what, I need to mm -hmm. cry for a little bit. Can, can we talk again in 10 minutes or mm -hmm. something like that? But I could imagine myself being less tolerant of, so let's say your child is, you know, either sad themselves or even just having a tantrum for some totally random other reason, they're hungry or whatever, 
or they you you accidentally put their favorite cup in the dishwasher, right? And so they had a fit about that. And I'm feeling really intolerant of that silly seeming tantrum because it seems so irrelevant compared to the depth of my grief right now. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips on, because this isn't really then about processing the child's sadness or any of that, but it's giving space to your own feelings and still being a decent parent while you're suffering sadness yourself. Yeah. Well, recognizing that as exactly as you said, your tolerance, your capacity, as I like to say, for showing up with love and patience is going to be diminished. Because when we're in a stress state and grief can feel like stress, when we're in a stress state, our capacity to not react takes a nosedive. So I think having compassion for ourselves through that and understanding that there's a quote I like um, that basically goes, we communicate more with our presence than our words ever do. So if my child's having this tantrum, what they're really doing is they're picking up on my energy, right? Mm -hmm. Because if I'm calm, my children, it's like when I need them to not need me, they need me more, right? Because they feel that like disconnection. So recognizing that, you're going to lose it in these moments. There's going to be times when you lose it. Have, your, have grace with yourself when that happens. Okay. And after you've been able to return to a place of calm, going to your child and saying, oh, I was just, I was feeling really sad at that moment and I didn't have the patience that you needed to talk about this and taking responsibility and apologizing mm. basically tells the kid, okay, this isn't about me. I didn't do something wrong. Mom is struggling right now. And again, When we make mistakes and we normalize imperfection, we are also telling our children, okay, things will happen sometimes. This is how you repair a relationship. This is how you say I'm sorry. Because no matter how many times a child does something and we say, tell your brother you're sorry, it's not, it's what we model. So if I make a mistake and I cause pain, I take responsibility and apologize for that. That's going to take the child from a place of, I did something wrong. So mom's mad at me to, Oh, mom is struggling. And, and this is why she yelled. And then it's also, if you feel these feelings come up in that moment and it's safe to do so walk away, lock yourself in the bathroom, do some deep breathing because what you're doing then is you're getting activated. And when you're in your stress response, your ability to stay emotionally neutral, your ability to think logically, to think rationally, to have compassion, it's, it's offline. That prefrontal cortex part of your brain, not working. You're in stress. It's the same as if a bear was like chasing you through the woods, right? Okay. Like you're yeah. in that stress response. You can't yeah. activate it. So it's walking away in the moment. What it also is, is am I making sure I'm getting enough sleep right now? Am I making sure that I'm not, you know, trying to um, squash my grief by pulling out the Ben and Jerry's or the bottle of Chardonnay? Am I you know, getting outdoor time? Am I moving my body? Am I doing all of the things that I I hate to use the, like the common verbiage, like filling my cup or whatever the case. But the thing is when we are in a state of stress and when we're in a grief state, that's when we should actually take better care of ourselves. But what we tend to do is throw everything we do like exercise or, you know, talking with friends or any of those things and just want to wallow in our grief. Yes. And there is absolutely times for our grief. There's absolutely taking space for your own feelings is imperative, 
but taking it from a place of these are the feelings I'm having and honoring that versus actually trying to push them down through other means, because then all we're doing is extending them. Yeah. And I also really like that you made it very clear that our child's behavior is not the cause of our feelings because our child can then be made to feel like a bad person. If, if I snap because you spilled something, then you feel like you are a bad person. You did something that caused my feelings. But in reality, my feelings are because I'm worried about, did I remember to pay the bill? And did I, oh gosh, I'm late on property taxes and all the other thousand things that are on your plate and on your I actually your snapped last week because my son spilled a water thing all over my nightstand. And it was just like, oh, just go get some towel, like just impatience. Yeah. And I did, I went to both of them laughter. I'm like, I'm sorry, I had a little, you know, a little adult temper tantrum. I was just really needing some space. I was feeling really tired and, you know, and I had asked for some space and, you know, you guys chose, you know, chose to come in mm-hmm. and, and I didn't react to that spill in the best way. Mm-hmm. And again, it's having compassion for ourselves in those moments Because then what we're doing is we're saying, hey, I'm taking responsibility for this. I'm owning my reaction. It wasn't you. But often what we do is is we're like, oh, this happened. I'm just going to let it go. Or I don't want to bring it up again because I don't want my child to get upset again. Oh, yeah. But but then what we do is, again, because what we're really avoiding there is our own feelings. Mm -hmm. We're really, we want to avoid our own guilt by not bringing it up again. Just to pretend it's going away. Just to pretend it's going away. But that's when they internalize it. That's when they say, oh, you know, I must be a really bad person because mom, I must be bad enough that mom yelled at me. Or I made mom cry. I made mom cry or, or I'm such a klutz or, and these are the identities that our kids take on. Mm -hmm. So this is why there is no perfection. There is no, you're never going to react or you're never going to lose your cool. It's our capacity to return to a state of calm, to return to what I like to call a foundation of joy or bliss. It's not that I live in joy or bliss all the time, but I know that it's always available to me when I look within Mm -hmm. versus I need life to behave so that I get to feel happy, calm, joy. Yes, because we cannot control all of those external factors, right? We can exactly. only control our own reaction to them. Exactly. So I think let's let's just bring it back to the whole dog thing, yeah. um, because I think that's a perfect way to sort of bring this to a close is the idea that, you know, by owning our own reaction to things and celebrating the fact that frustration, sadness, happiness, grief are all part of being a human. And that's what makes us whole. I think we're modeling for our kids then um, how to own those feelings as well. And that it's okay to be sad together. And if we know in advance that our dog is going to die, um, that we can talk about it ahead of time and, you know, with honesty and with love and, you know, maybe use that time to share positive memories and, that's what we did on the day that I had to take my dog that I knew I was taking her in at three o'clock. We just spent the day like sitting around the, the family room talking, you know, talking about her. My kids would bring her like pillows and their stuffed animals oh. to cuddle with. And we put blankets on her. And we just, 
we just were present with it. You know, I didn't, I didn't have them come with me to the vet because I knew that I would be a wreck and impossible to give anything to anyone else. I needed this space to just release, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And, but we, you know, we talked about it we talked about what happens and I just, you know, going back to that honesty, you know, of, of sharing, you know, that this is, you know, this is, this is time. And with pets, we have the ability to not have them continue to suffer. Right. And we can give them, we can give them that we can say goodbye to them and have it be a celebration of life and know that, yes, there's going to be hard moments after for you, for your child. It's not the avoidance of those hard moments that make up our life. It's the moving through those hard moments that make up our life. Oh, I've got to make a quote of that and put that everywhere. It's, it's perfection. It's true. We're not going to pretend it's not sad, but we need to get through the sadness, you know, and own it and be honest about it. Oh my gosh. This is so good. Thank you so much. I think that a lot of people will find this useful um, from a variety of viewpoints that they can feel valid in having the feelings that they feel and that they can have their kids expressing those same feelings um, and essentially setting up a good role model situation for our children to express themselves and not hide how they feel about hard things. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of the best places are my website. So that's irenemckennacoaching.com. You can find out more about me, my story, what I do. And then I have a podcast as well. So it's called Thrive in Motherhood. It's really a conversation about normalizing personal development. So all of the things I talked about today with understanding our feelings and our reactions and, you know, how, how I know you're not failing and, and, and conversations around really supporting you to thrive in motherhood, to find that place of joy and bliss. So those are probably the two best places. Um, on my website, there's a free gift that you can grab. Honestly, I throw new ones up all the time, so I'm not even sure what's going to be up there. So just go to the website <laughs> okay, and, and check yeah. it out. Um, but those are, and I'm on Instagram at thrive.in.motherhood and then on Facebook at Irene McKenna Coaching. Good. So all of those places. And good. I will link to all of those in the show notes on the Pooch Parenting website. I really appreciate your time and I appreciate your patience as a fellow mother and dog mom to put up with my puppy's shenanigans as he barked his way through the beginning portion of our interview, which oh, is a good. little bit embarrassing, but um, he's it's now real life. calmly it's in my life. arms, yeah. which is probably what I think he wanted all along. So I want attention, mom, attention, mom, attention. Well, it's mom. just, it's sort of that tantrumy. Yeah. I need comfort and I need soothing in some way. And that yeah. just so happens to be on your shoulder yeah. at this moment. I know yeah. he's, he's Thank a you. sweetheart. Thank you, Irene. I'm, we will be in touch and I'm really excited um, to maybe continue this conversation. another Absolutely. Time. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Pooch Parenting Podcast on iTunes or on the podcast app of your choice. If you're looking for ongoing support for your family with dogs, be sure to get on the waiting list for my Thriving Parents with Kids and Dogs membership 
at www.safekidsanddogs.com. And don't forget to follow Pooch Parenting on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening.